welcome to Timeless Tales, classic stories and poems for the young and the young at heart. I'm Miss Fiona, and over the course of six episodes, I'll share folk tales, fairy stories, classic poems, and short selections from timeless fantasy books. This podcast is a production of the Caldwell Public Library in Caldwell, Idaho. Episode 5, in which we share poems from here and there. Today we have a variety of poetry, from thoughts about reading to musing about how shadows act. There are stories about real things like Casey at the Bat and complete nonsense, like the classic Lewis Carroll poem Jabberwocky. And now, on with the timeless tales. We'll start with three poems about things you probably do. Reading, swinging, and playing with your shadow. Book Houses by Annie Fellows Johnston I always think the cover of a book is like a door that opens into someone's house where I've not been before. A pirate or a fairy queen may lift the latch for me. I always wonder, when I knock, what welcome there will be. The Swing by Robert Louis Stevenson How do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air so blue? Oh, I do think it is the pleasantest thing that ever a child can do. Up in the air and over the wall till I can see so wide. Rivers and trees and cattle and all over the countryside till I look down on the garden green, down on the roof so brown. Up in the air I go flying again, up in the air and down. And another by Robert Louis Stevenson. This one is called My Shadow. I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me, and what can be the use of him is more than I can see. He is very, very like me, from the heels up to the head. I see him jump before me when I jump into my bed. The funniest thing about him is the way he likes to grow, not at all like proper children, which is always very slow, for he sometimes shoots up taller like an India rubber ball. He sometimes gets so little there's none of him at all. He hasn't got a notion of how children ought to play. He can only make a fool of me in every sort of way. He stays so close beside me. He's a coward, you can see. I'd think shame to stick to Nursie as that shadow sticks to me. One morning, very early, before the sun was up, I rose and found the shining dew on every buttercup. But... My lazy little shadow, like an errant sleepyhead, had stayed at home behind me and was fast asleep in bed. Now it's time to sail away for adventures with Edward Lear and two of his most famous poems. The Jumblies by Edward Lear They went to sea in a sieve, they did. In a sieve they went to sea. In spite of all their friends could say, on a winter's morn, on a stormy day, in a sieve they went to sea. And when the sieve turned round and round, and everyone cried, you'll all be drowned, they called aloud, our sieve ain't big, but we don't care a button. We don't care a fig. In a sieve we'll go to sea. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. They sailed away in a sieve, they did, 
in a sieve they sailed so fast, with only a beautiful pea-green veil tied with a ribbon by way of a sail to a small tobacco-pipe mast. And everyone said who saw them go, Oh, won't they soon be upset, you know, for the sky is dark and the voyage is long, and happen what may, it's extremely wrong in a sieve to sail so fast. Far and few, far and few are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. The water it soon came in, it did, the water it soon came in. So to keep them dry, they wrapped their feet in a pinky paper, all folded neat, and they fastened it down with a pin. And they passed the night in a crockery jar, and everyone said, How wise we are, though the sky be dark and the voyage be long, yet we never can think we were rash or wrong while round in our sieve we spin. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. And all night long they sailed away. When the sun went down, they whistled and warbled a moony song to the echoing sound of a coppery gong in the shade of the mountains brown. Oh, Timbaloo, how happy we are when we live in a sieve in a crockery jar, and all night long in the moonlight pale we sail away with a pea-green sail in the shade of the mountains brown. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. They sailed to the western sea, they did, to a land all covered with trees. And they bought an owl and a useful cart, and a pound of rice and a cranberry tart, and a hive of silvery bees. And they bought a pig and some green jackdaws, and a lovely monkey with lollipop paws, and forty bottles of rainbow ree, and no end of Stilton cheese. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. And in twenty years they all came back, in twenty years or more, and everyone said how tall they've grown, for they've been to the lakes and the torrible zone and the hills of the chankly boar. And they drank their health and gave them a feast of dumplings made of beautiful yeast, and everyone said, if we only live, we too will go to sea in a sieve to the hills of the chankly boar. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green, and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. The Owl and the Pussycat by Edward Lear The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are. You are, you are, what a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, you elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married, too long we have tarried, but what shall we do for a ring? They sailed away for a year and a day to the land where the bong tree grows, and there in the wood a piggywig stood, with the ring at the end of his nose, his nose, his nose, with the ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were merry next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand at the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon, the moon, the moon, they danced by the light of the moon.
If you thought those poems were silly, see what you think of this next one. Originally included as part of Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll, Jabberwocky is truly a classic. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxome so he, foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the toggy wood, and burbled at it as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumping back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O oh, frabjous day, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. It's summertime. And you know what that means, mm, most years anyway. Baseball! Here's one final poem for you to enjoy about one team's star player and what happens when you think a little bit too highly of yourself. Casey at the Bat by Ernest Lawrence Thayer The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a Lulu and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat. For there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single, to the wonderment of all. And Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had settled, and men saw what had occurred. There was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then, from five thousand throats and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley. It rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then... 
while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip defiance gleamed in casey's eye a sneer curled casey's lip and now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air and casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there close by the sturdy batsman the ball unheeded sped that ain't my style said casey Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand with a smile of Christian charity. Great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid threw, but Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, Fraud, but one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate, and now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light, and somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Do you think you could write a poem? If you did, what would you write about? Something real? Imaginary? Would you paint a quiet picture, like the fun of swinging on a swing? Or maybe you'd create a mystical adventure quest. There are so many wonderful poems you can read. When you're at the library, be sure to ask and see the poetry section so you can choose a book for yourself. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed hearing classic stories as a podcast, I encourage you to visit Kids Listen, where you might find one or more new podcasts you'd like to try. I recommend a show called Buttons and Figs, which also features poetry and nonsense by and for kids. Today's music is from the Carnival of the Animals, composed by Camille Sanson and performed by the Seattle Youth Symphony. The recording was made available through museopen.org, a provider of music free of copyright. That's all for today. Please join me again next week for more Timeless Tales.